0: Everyone and Welcome to the Doctor Who show for the month of February. I'm Rob. And I'm Doc. And that's right, folks. Our special guest for the month of February is Doc Whom from the Diddly Dumb podcast. Hello, Doc. Hello, Rob.
1: I never like criticising another podcast, but I did think that it was high time that you had someone on the podcast with a bit of political savvy for a change, you know? So I thought I'd <laughs> to come on.
0: And hello to Dave listening overseas. <laughs> Now, Doc, your last appearance on the show was, I can't believe this, it was the start of 2017 and we were talking about 1970s Weedabix and Typhoo giveaways.
1: Was this when you were still Who was, or was this when, once you changed over to the Doctor Who show?
0: Yeah, we were the Doctor Who Show by then and we were doing the Who Teaks Roadshow segment. And I know this to be true because your appearance before that was on the Doctor Who Show episode eleven. I did my research, Doc, on November twenty seventh of twenty sixteen. So that's even longer.
1: Maybe done twice.
0: Yes. Yes you have. <laughs> Co host once and uh, a guest on Who Teaks Roadshow.
1: Yeah. That sounds unusually generous of me. <laughs>
0: Well, it's good to have you on from the fourth best Doctor Who podcast. Oh,
1: I remember we had big plans. I think it's from you, you inveigled me onto your podcast by saying, oh, well, sometimes we'll have to do a big Pertwee era retrospective together. And it never happened.
0: That's right. Project Pertwee. We were going to do that. And I did actually end up watching a lot of Pertwee in the end, which was the plan. And uh, I really got into him in the end, because that was the problem. I wasn't into him to begin with.
1: On the promise of that, that's why I started watching right from an unearthly child onwards.
0: Yes, and Thinking, blogging. Oh,
1: I'll, I'll eventually get to Pertwee, and then I can go through it and Rob. And you just, <laughs> you just ditched me like a, ch- a squeezed out tube of toothpaste, Rob. <laughs> there was I waiting at the church, and he left me in the lurch.
0: Oh dear. Let's quickly move on. Speaking of podcasts, I've got a couple of quick Apple Podcast reviews to do. Doc, we do these at the start of episodes if people have written into Apple Podcasts during the past month or so. So, the first one is Great, Concise and Fun. Five stars from Bauer3000. Thank you, Bauer. He says, "'You guys are bang on. Always well-structured and engaging podcasts. Your opinions are well-thought-through and backed up. Agree with you guys most of the time as well. Plus, I love your accents.' Greetings from the other side of the world from Who Time YouTube channel.
1: Isn't that nice? Oh, how sweet. And that's from Mr.
0: Robert Irwin, Esquire. (laughs) Not true. Uh, The second one, we'll get through these nice and quick. Great Doctor Who pod, five stars, well worth a listen. Rob and Dave continue to provide new angles and insights on a venerable show, whether it's the monthly show, hot takes on the new series... Or even the occasional trip to a different show entirely, they main a positive and fond spin to the show whilst never paper over the floors in the paper mache monster uh, suitable for the crusty old fan or the twelve year old obsessive keep it up guys from Andy J. Canberra, uh, obviously from Australia. lovely, thank you Andy
1: oh I see so now you're getting you're getting praise, which coincidentally originates in Canberra, are you? Oh, I wonder who said that <laughs>
0: just a coincidence doc just a coincidence (laughs) but yeah that's nice that's very nice so thank you for those and if you are out there want to write us a five-star review or any kind of review on itunes please do and read it at the top of our next monthly show all right moving on let's get into some news doc what do you reckon
1: i'm raring to go
0: Alright, these are four stories are in no particular order. I'm going to kick off with one uh, Big Finish related, and that's The Eighth Doctor is about to do a series with the curator, the Tom Baker character from the 50th anniversary. Had you seen this news, Doc?
1: Yeah, I've, um, I'm not sure how I feel about it, really. It's um, Big Finish is pretty voracious these days, isn't it? They've uh, mm. got such a, a large output, they almost need to swallow... Any opportunity they can. I wonder, I think that the Tom thing, Tom's cameo on the 50th anniversary, Day of the Doctor, managed to work because I think we were so excited to see him that we thought, mm. oh, well, we'll, you know, we'll brush aside the f- whether this actually fits in or works or not. But then I think this fits in what's, what's been happening recently Bob, over the um, haunting of Villa Diodati.
0: Mm. In what way?
1: In that, you know, people have been saying this is, um completely driven a steamroller over um, a particular big Finnish story where I think the Doctor travels with Mary Shelley oh. for a while.
0: Yeah, the Silver Turk.
1: Yeah, and I used to listen to them. And so it used to cost me money because you know, I'm a bit of a completist. Whenever I do anything. Yeah. And so I, th- I can't just say, oh, I'll dip into it I, until I eventually gave up on Big Finish. Uh, so that sounds rude, isn't it? Until I eventually uh, stopped listening to Big Finish. And I wonder if possibly it's unavoidable now. They put out so much and they've got so many, um, should we call them threads, i.e., mm. you know, you've got the Fifth Doctor travelling with Nissa and Teague, you know, you've got the Fifth Doctor perhaps. Traveling with Jamie and mm. the Eighth Doctor doing this, 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 and that—that that they're all they're always going to be looking out for what what historical character haven't we done yet? So TV is is always probably going to have to, but I think t, the TV show needs to take priority. What do you think
0: of it? Yeah, look, I own a lot of Big Finish uh, because I was collecting all the 8th Doctor CDs originally and and I, I went a long way with those. And in more recent times, whenever they've had really good sales, like here's a story for 99 cents... You know, they'll be selling yeah. it in the UK for 99p and they'll sell it here for 99 cents, which is actually cheaper than 99p. It's actually half the price. But anyway, putting that aside, um, I've bought a lot of stuff on sale and I have this very huge library available digitally and I can just download and listen at any time. And nine times out of 10, I don't because I find it so impenetrable and it's quite a, a big thing to listen to, A you know, a one hour, one and a half hour story. Yeah. And I think, well, that's only one out of... Several dozen I might have for that doctor. Do I really want to go down that rabbit hole? Do I want to start with that? And often I think no, and I don't listen to them. So it's a very strange relationship I have with Big Finish. But anyway, the synopsis for this uh, box set, Stranded, is The TARDIS is Gone, Stranded in One Time and Place. The Doctor Live in hell and Helen seek refuge in Baker Street. I don't know whether that's some sort of Sherlock crossover I'm missing there or yeah, whatever, or be. to reference to Tom Baker or something. Um, but the house they have has changed. They now they now have neighbours, not all of them welcoming, and someone has a dire warning for the future. The Doctor and friends face their greatest challenge yet, living one day after another in 2020 London. Um, Doc, as someone who lives in 2020 London, is that your greatest challenge day to day?
1: Oh, you're telling me. Ah. Oh. It's um, I better not say things. I might offend I might offend my nearest and dearest ah, yes <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> um all I'll add about this is in terms of the curator i'm I think less is more, and I think just seeing a bit of him in the yes. 50th special was probably enough, and here I just <sighs> I don't know what to make of it, to be honest, but I will say that in the eighth doctor. Novels from BBC Books back in the late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, the Eighth Doctor got stranded from his Tardis and had to live through all of twentieth century, essentially London and surrounds. So it's it's kind of already been done in the books for me, although that yeah. was a long time ago. And I I know a lot of fans haven't read those books, but it does seem to be treading similar territory.
1: I think Big Finish's argument is probably if less is more. Just think how much more more would be. <laughs> exactly. I'm not keen on the. These th- things were in a single you know, stroke of a pen, you add several centuries to the Doctor's lifetime. Hmm. That was happening a lot in Stephen Moffat's era, wasn't it? Suddenly he'd be a thousand years older. I don't find it convincing. I would hate to actually have to sit through the Doctor living through the whole of the 19th century. It would get a bit boring in the end. But you, can, I it doesn't... I don't find it convincing, that sort of... Uh, oh, this has happened, just deal with
0: it. Yeah. At the same time though, it's almost the opposite to how the say the Davison Doctor appeared to only live three years because his era is so clear cut in terms of the companions he's with and what he's doing yeah. <laughs> that this, you know, seven hundred and fifty odd year old guy only gets three years out of his um fourth regeneration. <laughs> Shall we move on?
1: okay okay Reports in the Radio Times that uh, uh rumors that Mandit Gill may be leaving the series. Um, so I was going mm. to put on a, a false expression of sadness <laughs> are Yaz and Ryan leaving the TARDIS behind? This is the rumour that she's disappearing I think they caught up with her at the the Radio Times covers party which I imagine is um, What a
0: salubrious um, event that would be.
1: Where she says uh, she doesn't actually know if her character will be making another appearance. <laughs> I'd love to come back Mandip Gill to radiotimes.com it's a game because of the secrecy no one ever knows what's going on so what do you think of this uh both in in the sense of likeliness and in the sense of uh, whether it's welcome or not
0: <laughs> well i think i've been saying that we've got to see some change surely this series with companions and if not this series then in the christmas or new year special whatever that may be Because it would be just bizarre to me for Jodie to have three companions, which is already one too many, and carry them through three whole series. That just seems ridiculous. I'd like to see her jettison all three this series, or maybe two in the finale and one in the Christmas special, and start her final series with someone new. I... I always say I'd love to see a different companion each series, so even having these three for two series has been more than enough for me. Even Graham, who I particularly like, I think he's got to go as well. I think they've all got to go.
1: I'm not sure if I can, if I can get Doctor Who anymore until, <laughs> it sounds cruel, but until until Ryan and Yaz leave the TARDIS. Oh, really? I actually I do find them an obstacle now to actually enjoying the show. I can't, it's, it stops me it stops my suspension. Excuse me, my suspension of disbelief. I'm constantly being yanked out of it by what I regard as as mediocre characterization and pretty mediocre acting. And so, while I I wish them all the luck in the world, I wouldn't uh, mind them disappearing at all. Um, yeah. <laughs> but <clears throat> because they've said, haven't they, that that Tosin Cole has been taken on by this U.S. Is one of these courtroom drama series?
0: Apparently so, so I think we can tick him off the, for sure. I think he's gone.
1: So I wish good luck to them, but... And I suspect they are going. I'm wondering whether they end up having Captain Jack coming back as the companion next series. Which might be, bring a bit of life to it.
0: Oh, I think it would.
1: Yeah, although then I couldn't really... um, Having complained about having... um. Having companions who can't act, it would be a bit hypocritical of me to um, push the idea of uh, Captain
0: Jack going back. Ow! And on that note, let's move on. Um, I mean, I, of... I,
1: I, I really like him. on more on Doctor Who <laughs> than on Torchwood, I must admit. But um, I must admit, yeah. you don't expect um, you don't know, expect subtle histrionic moments from John Barrowman, do you? No, that's hysterical exactly right. moments, but not histrionic. Sorry,
0: Rob, please go on. Yes. Uh, Talking of Series 13, where we may end up with some new companions, we do have information uh, which has been discussed widely, but I think it's worth discussing here. Producer Tracy Simpson was over in uh, the US at the Gallifrey One Fan Convention, and she said they're going to start filming Series 13 in the autumn, aiming for a 2021 Mm -hmm. broadcast. Now people have said oh this will be around september this filming will start and that's not entirely confirmed but i think when we're talking the autumn september's a pretty good as as any date to, to think about which means that instead of coming back to our screens a year later in say january of next year doctor who may come back almost a year and a half later than this series in um you know, much later in the year, maybe September twenty twenty one or something like that. It's, it's it's a hell of a wait.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the latest I've heard is is that it's going to be coming out autumn next year. But I used to care. You know, that was it. Series seven, where Stephen Moffat split it into seven A and seven B, mm-hmm. and he said the reason I'm doing this is because I I lie awake at night worrying about Portal kids who. Have to wait a whole year for their next Doctor Who fix, and so I am mm. giving it them only within, only within I don't know another six months, which I thought was rubbish. And that used to, used to really annoy me. I don't so much mind now. Um, if they, if we get a press release tomorrow saying that uh, Yaz and Ryan are staying for another two seasons, then quite frankly, they can delay <laughs> as long as they like as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I can't say I mind I mean does it I can understand how people would be annoyed by it but I think um, it's possibly the older you get I mean now I'm in my late 20s and <laughs> years just seem to zip by you can think oh how outrageous it's going to be other, it's 18 months before Doctor Who is on again and then like that oh it's 18 months later yeah and I still can't believe that it's um, the millennium the millennium was 20 years ago <sighs>
0: It was, it was. But yeah, look, there are two ways to look at it. The first is that over this past year, in between 11 and 12, I didn't miss it. There was plenty of other TV shows to watch. I'd been quite underwhelmed by the previous series. Yeah. And so I didn't care as much. This time around, I guess I've enjoyed more of the episodes. And if it ends on a really good, you know, pair of episodes, it could be quite something. And I, and maybe I will think, oh gosh, another year and a half. Wow. Yeah. But at the same time, that time will go pretty quickly. So it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. I just get frustrated with with Chipnall in this way that he's meant to be such a gun TV dude. And he starts off by saying, oh, I'm not doing a Christmas special and I need extra time to, to get the series up. Okay. Then for the, his next series, the one we're currently watching, he took even longer. Now he's going to take even longer again yeah. for, for the next one. I think, gosh, if... If you're not up to the job, Chris, just jog on. You know, just give it to someone who can do it. You know, shall we move on to this last story?
1: You'd think that podcasting wouldn't you, that um, uh, we would I would keep a regular eye on what's happening, but this was a complete surprise to me. Oh I, really? I um I try to avoid going onto Twitter and and you know searching for hashtag Doctor Who because that's the way you know that you end up with the dross and the lunatics. Um, I just stay on people who I'm, I'm already following, um, mm. but I did hashtag was it Galli one, and that's it? people were showing him. I had no idea he'd been agreed to go to Gallifrey one. Uh, that was, and I quite like that. Um, and for the listeners
0: at home, we're talking Chris Eccleston appearing at Gallifrey one.
1: I oh, should not say that. <laughs> See, I've, I've got these notes in front of me <laughs> on my screen. I'm forgetting that. Uh, yes, and I, I quite like that. It saddened me that he didn't want to be involved with the show anymore mm. although in a certain way it um it pleased me because i could um give me an opportunity to sneer at people who used to attack him for it um but now but i'm so pleased that he's he's getting into conventions now yeah um, mainly not because i particularly want to meet him um but mainly because i don't think Look forward to a, you know, an hour-long conversation about um, working-class life in Salford. But just the <laughs> fact that he's happier with it now. And I suspect that now that he's just you know much more at ease with doing these things, whenever he's, do, he's promoting a new film, it's probably going to be less likely that some hack in the audience will put their hand up and say, "Oh, Chris, are you thinking of returning to Doctor Who? Mm-hmm. Which I think really used to annoy him. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. I think he's just better off in life in generally. There was a Guardian article recently, his book came out last year, as I recall, yes. and yeah. and yet he was still doing press for that book uh, not long ago, like a few weeks ago. Um, I don't know whether his his press commitments got cut somehow last year and he's come back to do some more or something. I don't know what... And in that article in The Guardian, he was talking about, and I'm sure this is all covered in the book, he's talking about his anorexia, he's talking about other mental health issues he's had. And it's like, oh, he's not had the happiest of times. And I think some of that's certainly played into his attitude with Doctor Who and such. And so now for him to be able to walk out in front of a crowd at a convention, he's done a few before Gallifrey one as well that I've seen on YouTube, little videos people have made. I think good on you, you know. Uh, be happy, you know. Uh, this yeah. is this is just great. I'm I'm really pleased for him. Um, let's move on from the news, doc, to a, a short topic that I wanted to raise, and then we can rattle off into yes. some uh, some listener messages, which will be the guts of this episode. I wanted to talk uh, the elephant in the room, and that's ratings, because we now have mm. overnights at least for the first eight episodes up to Villa Diodati. Uh, and we have consolidated for seven of those eight episodes, and it's it's a bit of a mixed bag. I mean, when this series started, the usual pylon happened from haters. Uh, a lot of mean stuff gets said. The stats got manipulated very badly. You know, one thing I noticed straight away: people were comparing the overnights of the first episode to consolidated from past series and saying, "Look, it's below whatever from this other series." And it's like. Yeah, but you're not comparing apples and apples, you know. Mm. But that doesn't, that doesn't matter. The haters don't care. But as time has gone on, the, the show, and I've got to be completely honest here because that's what I try and do. I don't try and be a hater or a, a rabid fanboy. The The ratings have gone down. That typically happens in most series. But now with Diodati, we're down into overnights of 3.86 million. And I think, ugh, is the show maybe underperforming a little I think it might be.
1: It won't come as any surprise to any of your listeners to hear that. Uh, I think the show's not doing very well. Um, mm. I've no idea, really. I, I myself, sometimes. Uh, I mean, I, I have to watch the. I don't have to, but I watch every new episode religiously because I've got to turn up at the podcast once a fortnight. To review mm. it with my pals, but um, even I think for Dear Darty, uh, I was up in Manchester with my family for that weekend, and not wanting to inflict that on them, I waited until Monday before when I got back to London before I watched it, and that didn't particularly bother me that much. So I imagine that more and more people are doing that, uh, which is why I can am more prepared to accept the argument these days that it's that the overnights are less important. But there's certainly the... See, I'm old enough to remember... I'm old enough to remember the time when, you know, the idea of... I suppose they call it now water cooler TV. Mm. Of where, you know, you could imagine the half the nation sitting down on a Saturday night to watch something. And the idea that some people say, Oh, yeah, I watched on my, uh, on my phone on the way to work tomorrow. Something like that seems, takes away a little bit of the, you know, it's like a collective experience. One of the big things, going back to Eccleston, one of the big things I was in heaven during, in 2005, during that first series. And one of the things that went with that was not just that I was enjoying the the stories, but there was almost a feeling that the whole country was happy that it did come back. Mm. And, you know, every story was almost, you know, the reviews for it were almost headline news, in you know, the newspapers, yeah. And uh, the whole thing, you know, we were saying uh, after, between the final two episodes, oh, who's that voice? Is it, um, is it Adam or Davros coming back to Rika's Revenge? Uh, and that <laughs> sort of stuff was headline news in the UK. And there was this yeah. lovely feeling that, you know, everyone was liking this important piece of uh, culture. And the idea that people say now, oh well you know I'll uh, maybe I'll watch it next week or maybe I'll, you know, I'll wait till the DVD box set comes out.
0: Uh, yeah. There's nothing
1: wrong with that but I think it, 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 may, it may disappoints me slightly.
0: Yeah, I was going to say I think familiarity breeds contempt to some degree. Yes. Um, but also, you know, some of these stories have underwhelmed. Uh, there's no getting around it. And again, I don't try and be a hater. But I do think, you know, to to pick up on your thread there, even when uh, Tennant had been in the role for four years and was leaving, his regeneration episode got huge ratings. And you compare that to something like Capaldi, The Doctor Falls, I made a note here, had overnights of 3.75 million. And Consolidated got up to, you know, low 5 millions. It's not great for a regeneration story. In a few episodes earlier, Eaters of Light, that's a famous example, had 2.8 million overnights. So when people, again, so to go back to these haters who say, oh, well, it's all Jodie's fault, but wasn't Capaldi wonderful? I say, well, Capaldi had overnights of 2.8 million at times, so, you know, don't, don't get too carried away with that thought.
1: I I really don't care that much. Mm. <laughs> I, I'm trying to sound dismissive, but um, my general approach to Doctor Who these days, I didn't, couldn't care whether other people like it or dislike it. It's mm. purely whether it speaks to me. Now obviously if they if let's say the rating has dropped to, you know, three people and his and their dog watching it on a a Sunday night, then the BBC probably would cancel it. But um I don't think there's any sign of that yet. It's not see, it's not like the BBC have got, you know, some groundbreaking new piece of drama uh, ready to take the place of Doctor Who. Mm. Um, most of most of their stuff these days is pretty Um,
0: yeah my biggest takeaway from this conversation we're having though is that overnights might not be the thing to look at and that consolidated are the new overnights taking into account there's also a 28 day score as well when we talk consolidated we're talking a seven day score there's also a a seldom mentioned 28 day score that that often takes the ratings even higher yeah yeah
1: i don't know whether you know someone watching it's I'll watch it, I won't watch it tonight, so I'll watch it in four weeks. No. Um, possibly say some, um, as much about the popularity as of the show as they say I'm not watching it at all. I think with its ratings, it's like most things, a lot of things in fandom. People will, if the ratings appear to be dropping, people, if people who don't like the way the show's going will seize on that. Mm-hmm. If that's happening, then the people who love the show will seize on the fact that. The uh, consolidated figures are holding up, yeah. and sometimes you'll get people who love the show saying ratings don't matter at all. And yet, if the ratings suddenly take a leap upwards, those same people will be saying, "Oh, just look how how great the show <laughs> be, Look how the ratings have gone." Yeah, it's no, I don't mind that much. It's it would be nice to think you know that um, in the, from the UK point of view, it'd be nice to think a quarter of the nation was watching it but um, uh, I suppose that's the way TV is these days. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> shall we move on, Doc? Yes,
1: uh, find me something fresh to complain about.
0: <laughs> yes, we have now, folks, a bunch of listener messages. These have been emails, tweets, uh, instant messages, all sorts of stuff, and uh, I think you're going to kick us off first, Doc.
1: Yes, this is where Rob. <laughs> I find out that Rob has invited me onto his podcast so that I can read out um, people contacting him to say how wonderful his show is. <laughs> That's which is torturing me to death. Um, I did it's t- usually
0: just a single line in each email. They're usually about other topics Doc. To
1: I did warn Rob that as revenge, we would invite him onto the Diddly Dum podcast and force him to read uh, letters from people saying how wonderful ours is. And once we, re- once we receive our first of those, we will do it. Um, you've had um, a communication from Peter Cavana mm. uh, Love the show, guys, but please bring back the Chibnall death count. Now, what is this? Something counting down to Chris Chibnall's death or something? No. <laughs> no it's In not which me. case, that would definitely make me want to listen to the podcast. <laughs>
0: That was something we were doing in the Series 11 episodes. We'd just tally up all the people who'd been bumped off yeah. in the episode, and I'd say, now for the Chibnall death count, and we'd play a Wilhelm scream, the blah, scream. Ah! And uh, people seemed to really like it. We didn't know that at the time, but when we stopped doing it, people started talking about it. But we haven't brought it back, because we try and do quick 30-minute 30, 30 uh, hot takes, and so there's no there's no time for it.
1: Can you imagine trying to do the Mo- a Moffat death count? You have your little piece of papers so around right, death, 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 and yet as the story progressed, you'd have to keep crossing them out as they kept coming back to life. Oh, Rory's died! Oh no, he's come back to life. Bill's died! Oh no, she's come back to life to go and um, yeah. live along the stars with the pilot.
0: Yes, with a magic uh, pile of space fuel. <laughs> uh, moving on, David Clark says hiya, Robin. Dave. First of all, to answer your question, I haven't tied the wifey up to watch Doctor Who from the beginning. I just locked the doors uh that, that that's in reference to he started the the great uh what do they call it the great journey where you watch uh all the episodes from the start uh doc oh um i
1: know what you mean I, but um
0: i think they call it the great journey anyway david is doing it with his wife who i don't think is a um an avid doctor who fan but is certainly doing through. it with him so yeah a run through is good Hmm. Anyway, David goes on to say, Also, William Hartnell just gets better with each story. My favourite so far being Planet of Giants, a very early environment story. Tonight's episode... However, Fugitive of the Jadoon, I thought was brilliant. Jodie has really found her Doctor a bit more serious than Series 11, which adds to her character and makes her a lot more the Doctor. When Captain Jack appears, I could have kissed him myself, and it's so good the show is keeping these secrets until the actual viewing. A fantastic twist with another Doctor. I'm just going with the flow, but I've got to say she was brilliant and convincing, and though I was a bit worried, because she's a right nasty cow in Holby City. <laughs> okay, that's I don't watch Holby City, so that's new to me. Uh, One final thing the TARDIS console room. Wow, bestool my beating hearts, a thing of beauty. Chip is so. yeah, it was. Chibbers so far has not let me down. Even Orphan 55 was a good watchable episode discounting Benny, which really got on my tits. Uh, hopefully, more Captain Jack to come before the series finale. Steady Dave. And one more thought. The way the show is keeping secrets so well, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a major jaw-dropping shock in episode 10. Maybe a regeneration. Maybe they lie. Love the show, guys. Get uh Rob emailed
1: me. Uh, some of these uh, communications listeners uh, mm-hmm. a few days ago just so I could uh, read up and know what I was going to be reading out and I thought well uh, I'll read them tomorrow at work at lunch time so I emailed them to my to my work account and I got in at work next morning to find uh, find an email alerting you to uh, inbound profanity detective so if you're going <laughs> to write to Robin in Future can you please not use expressions like you really got on my tits <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I work for the civil service, you see, and and we, um, I mean, it's uh, government uh, government firewalls are particularly bad. I mean, it, imagine if you worked in our Scunthorpe office, that would be even worse.
0: Oh god! So David Clark, naughty, naughty.
1: <laughs> uh, right, <clears throat> we've had um, uh, well, Rob has had uh, a letter from Sheldon Carnegie. Now there's a Sheldon at uh, who's one of the um, Dwas people. Who mm-hmm. um, I thought, oh Lord, have I got to try and read this out in a Scouse accent? Sort of. Um, <laughs> until uh, I checked and realised it's another Sheldon.
0: Yeah, Sheldon's from Florida.
1: Oh right! Oh right! Uh, I just yeah. sure, oh, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> who was it that said, "I just love your accents"?
0: Oh, that was an earlier... Oh, that was someone
1: who posted the Apple review, wasn't it? I just listened to your podcast. This episode knocked me off my feet. I screamed and jumped around my living room like a complete loon. It was really, really good for a few reasons. Having the Judoon back was fun. Seeing Captain Jack again made me squeal like I can't even describe. But the reveal of Ruth was jaw-dropping. If it fleshes out through the remainder of this season, and the next in a believable way, it would be a masterwork. To be this excited about Doctor Who again fills me with an an enveloping joy. How do you pronounce that word, Rob? The, you know, the thing that you you put a letter inside for you lick it to put a stamp on it?
0: An envelope?
1: Right, I'd pronounce it envelope. Isn't it strange mm. when, when you when you make items a verb, you don't say enveloping? This <laughs> fills me with an enveloping joy. That's it me enveloping strange. I know it's just a TV show, but it's a TV show I adore. Oh, I do feel bad for Ruth's faithful companion. He really did try to get her out of there without having her reveal herself, but met his demise in doing so, poor thing. And did either of you notice the uneasy tension of the two doctors when they entered the lighthouse? They didn't completely trust each other, and the slow pace of the scene captured their uneasiness. I could go on and on, but I don't want this to have to be a six-page letter. A note about your streamlining the show. I like it. A short hot take to get your initial reaction with monthly shows to really flesh out observations and insights is a nice structure. Why not try improving things even better by inviting on some of the best podcasters from other podcasts? Oh, that's a good idea. Thanks, Sheldon. Um, Great show as always. (laughs) Till next week.
0: That's why we got the fourth best podcast (laughs) in tonight, Sheldon. Oh, thank you. (laughs) <laughs> um, both these emails, these two emails from David Clark and Sheldon, mention Ruth. Doc, your quick thoughts on Ruth? Were you intrigued by her? Did you think she? Some people said, "Oh, I immediately believed in her more so than Jody." You know, took me a few goes with Jody, or maybe for some of them, Jody's never hit for them. What did you think of uh, Ruth? We
1: were spoiled by Ruth.
0: No, no, I wasn't.
1: Well, no, neither was no. I. And it's so it came as a. I mean, I remember when. No, she's um Ruth is about to come out of the lighthouse and walk up to the doctor and the uh, while the doctor's on her hands and knees digging in that grave and she un- she uncovers the top of the TARDIS. That mm. that may well be the first time since uh, I was about ten that I've literally gasped while watching an episode really? of Doctor Who and even as Ruth approached her, it didn't the penny didn't drop. Now, you know when she smashes the glass in the lighthouse? Yes. And all the the golden you know, filament things are going on the screen. I, even then, I'm, I'm daft. I was thinking, oh, why are they doing that? that? That's just a steal from the, um, the chameleon arch effect. Why can't they think of something new? It didn't even occur to me that she was a time lord or that she was the doctor. So when she wow. says, I'm the doctor, I thought, oh, wow. I don't yeah. think. I didn't think. Oh, what an amazing! You've know, I've seen some people saying online. Oh, what a brilliant, amazing actress she is. So much better than Jodie. I didn't think she was that amazing. I think oh, a few people are just thinking, saying that she was amazing, gives me a chance to diss Jodie, mm-hmm. and without you know, anyone being able to say that I'm a misogynist because I'm praising another woman. I thought I That's thought it. she was she was pretty good. Uh, I could have done without the fact that they ended up in the TARDIS together. I noticed that um, her cuffs were two different bright colours, and I thought, "Oh Lord, is that going a bit, a bit towards Collins' costume thing?" <laughs> but no, I liked it. Yeah. Whether you know who she, t- where she turns out to be in the Doctor's timeline is another issue. Mm. Um, I think there is possibly an issue with you know uh, diminishing returns having done it with John Hurt. Now, I don't know how this is a completely different Doctor now. I do wonder, if she if she turns out, as some people say, to be a pre hartnell Doctor, I'm not sure it's particularly complimentary to Jodie to say, well, you wouldn't know, you take the risk of being the first woman on Doctor Who and then to have her upstaged by a woman having been younger than her? Ah, yeah. yes. We actually think, I think, we've come to the conclusion on our podcast that um, Despite what Chris Chibnall says, she is from a parallel universe. But, yeah. but, but we think it's possible that it's not that Ruth is from a parallel universe, but it's that Jodie is in a parallel. So Jodie is in Ruth's, the Ruth doctor's universe, when she shouldn't be.
0: That makes sense. However,
1: that happened. There's something str- strange, isn't there? I, I don't know if you feel it like this, but I, I wouldn't like her to be. A pre-Hartnell doctor?
0: No, I wouldn't.
1: Um, because I don't mind that much with messing with canon, but there's something. Do you know in the the same way that people will still refer to John Hurt as the War Doctor? They won't. They don't. You know, start moving all right. In that case, that makes Eccleston he's actually the tenth Doctor. Mm. The first Doctor actually means something. You know, it's inextricably linked to William Hartnell. And if it was suddenly, oh, he actually wasn't the first Doctor. I thought... Also, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how interesting it
0: would be. i am sure she was yeah. a
1: pre-heart. I don't know.
0: Anyway. Yeah. There's certainly this new vibe in fandom. It's it's now very trendy in some circles to say, oh, canon. Canon doesn't matter. You know, it's becoming very cool to have this attitude. And I, while I can appreciate where it comes from to some degree, I think people take it way too far. And I think having some sort of established... Facts about what you're watching isn't actually weird to desire. It gives you a foundation for your series. And the foundation we have is that Hartnell was the Doctor on Gallifrey, decided to run away. Uh, His TARDIS turned into a police box. And we've even had it reinforced in a a strange sort of way with even Clara helping him escape Gallifrey in one of those Moffat stories uh, where they inserted her into some old Hartnell footage. And I think to to go back on all of that would be extraordinary. You know, I know there are some canon things that aren't important. We were talking earlier about Big Finish and what's on TV. And, you know, from that point of view, yeah, I can understand people when they say, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter. Of course we should go and see Mary Shelley, even though Big Finish did it. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But some people are just taking it so far, it's become, as I say, really cool, really trendy to to, to laugh at people who are into canon. And I think that's just taking it too far. And I find that absurd, because I think you should have a foundation for whatever show you're watching, yeah. whether it's Doctor Who, Sesame Street, or, or whatever.
1: Something that with Cam that would really piss me off would be, let's say they... Let's say, and this is... I apologise to Sheld- Sheldon and his friends in America. This is a terrible um, stereotype about Americans. But let's say the BBC decided we really need to appeal more to the American market. So let's have the doctor shooting people all the Mm. time. As a stereotype. Now that would that would really piss me off. Because that's a sort of canon. You know, it's not just oh did this you know, it's not like the unit dating controversy. Which Mm. I mean I couldn't care about. It's, you know, something fundamental to the show.
0: Yeah well that's almost going into the law as well. Yes, I suppose that's true.
1: That's true. Um I couldn't really have cared less how they resolved the whole twelve regenerations thing. We knew it was going to have to happen; otherwise, they'd had to shut down the show. And yes. let's let's face it: the only reason that we have the whole idea of the twelve regeneration limit in the first place is that Robert Holmes. See, I'm able to. I, I can do that. I can step back and quite easily say, and without worrying myself, say. That was just Robert Holmes decided it was a great-sounding line. You know, after the 12th generation, there is no plan that will prevent death. And it is a great-sounding line. And he probably thought, well, we're only on the fourth Doctor. The show's never going to last this long. That's it. And yeah. maybe if it does, I'll be long dead by that anyway. <laughs> and I don't mind that. I can easily get over that. What would irritate me is if they, you know, they had they introduced an entire series arc to try to explain it. Mm. No, don't no don't don't make us make it obvious that you're breaking canon. Just quietly, you know, say that was something convenient, just sweep it under the carpet.
0: At the same time though, what what's interesting is Holmes was breaking canon essentially from Morbius, which suggested there had been doctors pre Hartnell, and yet fandom seemed to seize more on the twelve regeneration limit than they ever bought into the Doctors, we saw in Morbius.
1: Yes, but I've I long ago have um, reconciled myself to the fact that actually um, all that boasting Morbius was doing during the mind bending contest, uh, you know, ha ha, your puny mind is powerless against me. Um, it's just because he's um, just because he's so, so egotistical. What he didn't realise that while he thought he was winning, actually those faces on the screen were all his previous regenerations, not the Doctor's, so he was boasting while he he didn't realise he was losing. So I'm quite prepared to um, fool myself with that. (laughs) And uh, that's that's quite good enough for me. And I'd rather, please don't try to persuade me otherwise, because I find it quite (laughs) convenient. But I don't mind that sort of thing. I can quite happily reconcile that to, oh, that was, you know, a producer, or a Production designer who wasn't aware of as well as aware of the history of the show as he mm. should have been.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Well, look, we won't make you dwell on that. We'll move on to the next email. This is from Andy Moore. He says, "Hello, chaps. I was just belatedly catching up with episode 146. All the various series 12 flashcards have created a bit of a pod jam. He says for him uh, and heard you talking about. I'm going to spend my Christmas with a Dalek. I thought you might be interested ah. in this."
1: Every year...
0: My colleague and myself chucked together a Christmas cover version with accompanying video of varying degrees of quality as a thank you for folks who have continued to turn out to support us at gigs over the past year and as a way to perhaps direct a few quid to charity. This year, Music and Who merged when I was covering I Want to Spend My Christmas with a Dalek. I've steered clear of singing it in a dubious child's voice, mind you, and settled instead on a kind of sub-Right Said Fred era cribbins. (laughs) Anyway, hope you enjoy it. Thanks for the excellent podcast and belated Happy New Year to you from Andy. And he sent us a, a link to it, Doc. I'll, I'll try and get some audio up here on the podcast and also link to it on our social media.
1: Gonna spend my Christmas with a Dalek and hug him underneath the mistletoe. And if he's very nice, I'll feed him sugar spice and hang a Christmas stocking from his big lead toe. And when we both get up on Christmas morning. Kiss him on his Chromium head. Is Andy uh, supporting us at gigs? Is he um, a musician
0: or something? He is. And this uh, this YouTube channel uh, from The Modest, which I believe is his band, is uh, where uh, he has put this cover version. And it's quite fun, uh, you know, with the video clip and everything. It's, it's good fun.
1: I had a, a communication from Peter Dedman. Hi, guys. Good work, as always, with the hot takes. With three more episodes past, I was planning to do my thoughts of them so I could explore trends and themes. As it turns out, though, these three episodes have been something of a showcase of the good and the bad of the season, and the Chibnall era in general. First off, the story with Tesla was actually quite fun. Though parts of it didn't make a huge amount of sense, it was a fairly conventional romp, enlivened by an excellent performance by the actor playing Tesla. Though I do wonder why the doctor didn't see the need to erase those people's memories, considering he'd done it in Spyfall Part Two with the two women. Well, good point, Adam, Peter. You see, you don't need to erase men's memories; they will gradually <laughs> fade with time. But women, I and mean, you must have noticed women's <laughs> eerie ability to remember something you did wrong ten years ago, yes, in, uh, in great detail. Um, the Judoon jurisdiction reminded me a lot of Utopia, actually, and not just for Captain Jack. What starts out as a normal run-around with monsters ends with a Time Lord emerging from their hiding place? And just like that, I was very impressed with the way the actor-actress built up from a harmless person to someone much more interesting. I sincerely hope we see more of Joe Martin as the Doctor, as I really enjoyed what I saw. The reveal of the buried TARDIS in that glorious neoclassical console room had me even more excited and intrigued than the Master's reveal in Episode 1. Praxius, meanwhile, is as you said a pretty mixed bag. It looks pretty, even if some of the bird CGI was a bit wonky. It was well acted, even if the doctor went back to her but went back a bit to her season eleven portrayal. Yet somehow it was just incomprehensible. <laughs> These episodes pretty much typify this season and Jodie's era. There's some good imagination, things look pretty damn good, and there's some interesting twists and good acting. But on the other hand, there's too much rushing about for no purpose. Needless babble, and too much explaining the plot. As one of the characters say, said in Praxeus, chat, 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 when Yaz and Graham were over-explaining. That is quite ironically funny. <laughs> and since everyone seems to have a theory on the Joe Martin Doctor, here's mine. Some sort of re Oh! <sighs> he clearly just stole this idea from me. Some sort of parallel reality has been created, possibly by this lone Cyberman, where this Doctor is an alternate version of Jodie's incarnation. Likewise, the Master we saw is an alternate universe version of one of the others. This neatly avoids any mess with putting these incarnations in the existing canon. We'll see how it all plays out in time. Here's to the rest of the series. Peter.
0: Yeah, thank you, Peter. And again, we don't know if Chibnall's lying when he says an alternate universe isn't in there, I find it hard to reconcile any other way, although I do have other theories, they just don't as I tease them out further and further, they just don't hold water, so I don't know whether he's going with something that won't hold water in the end or whether he's done something genius or whether he's just lying, maybe it is just lying
1: I, th- I, th- and I think, I suspect because he's been said isn't he other oh, Jody's sorry, the Joe Doctor definitely isn't a parallel universe doctor
0: hmm. but
1: then he's also said Everything you you hear is a lie, isn't he? Um, That's
0: something like that, yeah.
1: I suspect I suspect she is.
0: Yeah, I I would like that because I think it makes her a legit doctor in her own right you know rather than trying to to force her into some timeline that just doesn't work in in our universe so to speak yeah to have to have her be the doctor in her universe means she is absolutely the doctor and it's it's wonderful and you know big finish can go to town with stories about her and all that sort of stuff you know and it's it's not some sort of fake out or or anything that's less than um less than real um, I'm, I'm i quite like the idea of an alternate universe myself mm. Anyway, moving on Millie McKenzie Hello Millie uh, Millie writes to us on uh, Facebook from time to time She says Hi guys, I've been listening to your podcast Since I came across it after Spyfall And am slowly working my way through your back catalogue Your conversation is always intelligent And remarkably ah. polite <laughs> Oh, that's lovely uh, It amazes me how you don't always agree But you seldom get heated And you appreciate each other's opinions Very refreshing But part of me also wants to hear you have a full-on scrap Yes. <laughs> I don't see all the issues you both had with this episode and by this episode, I think she means Praxius. Uh I loved it for the fun and excitement of it and the plot holes don't bother me. I want to yell at you and say you're wrong, but your calm understanding has taught me to accept your opinions and allow you the occasion to go and view it again. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> well, thank you, Millie. I'll, I'll get around to it at some stage. It's not high on my rewatch list, I've got to say, if we're talking Praxius.
1: I am um can't imagine you and uh, Dave having uh, a full on scrap while uh, a crowd of podcasters <laughs> stands around yelling, Fight! 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 Did you see that in school playgrounds?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it would uh, attract other people to come and it, watch.
1: Yeah. Um, Shane Roof has been in touch. So... Good <laughs> day, chaps. I'm not saying that. It's far too Australian.
0: Good day, oh, chaps.
1: Well met, fellows. <laughs> <laughs> haven't yet listened. haven't yet listened to your latest hot take, but hope to over the weekend, so I thought I'd get in now. Who knows? No pun intended. With how time works, maybe I already have by the time you read this. Anyway, I like Praxias, and I didn't think I would. This season, at the time of writing anyway, has been a refreshing change. I'm finding each week I'm enjoying my favourite show more and more. I've never wavered, even when less than enthused by some of the last series but see the current crop of stories. Oh, yeah, we're back, baby. Where's Shane from?
0: (laughs) He's Australian.
1: Uh, Oh, well, that's, um, yes. That's Um, the least doc sentence I have ever heard you say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, we're back, baby. Uh, I probably, my version of that would probably be, uh, um, oh, yes, this is is slightly acceptable, I believe. (laughs) Anyway, I was less than overwhelmed by the trailer for Praxis, but I'm watching, I loved it. The multi location companions and Doctor split up on different parts of the planets. Now, the planet reminded me of some of those McCoy new adventure books that were set in the near future. I am really getting a Barry Lettsfield for this season, with yet another pollution story popped in not long after Orphan 55. Mm. I have no problem with these types of tales. Doctor Who is what got me thinking about the planet now as a wee sprite. I also liked how the Doctor threw in a reference to the Autons. For once, it was a subtle reference that paid homage to the past without it d- detracting from the story. I wonder how many current viewers would still even remember Rose or have watched it, let alone know about those third doctor encounters. It was a little bit like having the macra in gridlocked. Hmm. Finally, well, two finales actually. First, finally, I'm so glad jo- Jodie's doctor is—I don't know—being more doctory. It's really starting to give weight to one of my arguments to critics of her first season. I felt her first season was a mishmash of stories that writers had written with pictures of other doctors in their heads, like Tennant or Smith. I had heard Chibnall had, had asked for a generic doctor, so as to keep the gender thing secret for as long as possible. Now I feel they're writing for Jodie playing the doctor, and she's fantastic, pun intended. I'm, this is me. I'm not sure I understand that. Mm. Why would writing what a generic part? doctor help conceal who he'd cast? I mean, does that mean avoiding? Does that mean avoid avoid writing scenes that have the doctor multitasking? I'm not sure why. <laughs> because let's let's say let's say they were uh, writing for the Capaldi doctor before mm. Peter had been you know unveiled. And if, they were could be writing him really, really grumpy. But still, it wouldn't have told any of us that it was going to be Peter Capaldi, would it?
0: No, that's true. That's true. I, I guess uh, Shane's coming from the point of view that maybe they just hadn't been told the name so they couldn't think of specific attributes. But uh, you're right, the, the grumpy example's a good example. They could have said, oh, I'll just make this Doctor like I um, I don't know, a children's television presenter and they could have written the Jodie Doctor. But I digress. Uh <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> My final finding is
1: regarding one other thing I've liked about this season so far. It seems like we're dropping into adventures. In the Tesla story in this one, the Doctor and crew have already been up to something, so that they're already onto the events while they're going. I love that. I've always wanted to see a, a story where we land at the culmination of an event we haven't seen, and the Doctor, separated from her companions, has to use the TARDIS to get somewhere to complete something and get her friends back. But in a throwback to the old TARDIS, she's whisked away into a different adventure. When that's resolved, we see her return to the previous adventure, but we don't see the outcome. And next week, it's something completely different. I call these types of tales life with the Doctor, the missing adventures, so to speak. Anyway, that's my take for this week. Cheers, as always, for your podcast, and catch you later. Shane. I suppose mm. that's. Did that happen in Praxis in a way in that you. The doctor mentions at the beginning, doesn't she? That she's been dropping them off on worlds and then leaving them and disappearing so she can go a search for Gallifrey.
0: Pretty much, or yeah. Or rather,
1: um, search for what's happened, search for the Master, hasn't she?
0: Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I, I like this idea of Shane's. I like the idea of coming in at the end of a story and. <laughs> It'd just be something a bit different. Mix it up a bit. Hmm. All right, moving on. I have uh, a note from Steve Pinozzo, noted Australian cartoonist. He says, "Hi mate, I don't think Praxius was as clumsy." Uh, an agenda driver, as say Orphan 55. The subject of microplastics is pretty important, and in terms of its execution, it was only as obvious as say the Green Death. To be frank, I don't hear too many people venting their spleen on that classic gem, except to praise it. Yet the Green message was pretty blatant all the way through. I might stop there, Doc, because that's probably an interesting conversation for us to have—a mini conversation. The Green Death versus Orphan 55 or Praxius. Do you see a difference? They've both got messages, but is, is it how they're told?
1: I see what Steve's saying, but I don't agree. I'm sure some do, but most fans I know who complain about wokeness, mm. um, I mean, I've really not got the time to spare to complain about this sort of thing, I have no problem with the actual message, but they're just getting pissed off at the patronising way it's being delivered. Mm. In Chris Chibnall's trademark Tell Don't Show manner. Yeah. It's a bit like, it's a bit like I always think this is a bit like Third Doctor ending "Planet Planets of the Daleks with that lecture to the Thals about you must realise that war isn't fun. I mean, I think that comes across as incredibly patronising. The idea of the Thals, isn't it? Is, isn't it? That um, they're sharing a planet with the Daleks. Quite how they've developed their own uh, space. Um, Technology, I don't know, but you think they they might be aware that actually war isn't a good thing, particularly as uh, well that <clears throat> I won't get into Genesis, mm. and that comes across. Oh Lord, that is so patronising. Without people coming back to you and saying, "Oh, so you're in favour of war, are you?" You think yeah. wars a, a funny thing. What I find that most people object to about the whole, and I'm using air quotes here, woke thing but about about people being said, like, oh, so-and-so is very woke, isn't he or she, mm. is not I disagree with their opinion. It's, I think, they're expressing it, the way they express it, they come across it as smug pains in the ass. Mm. Mm. The reason why nobody calls Barry Letts woke or a social justice warrior or a virtue signaller is because I, in my opinion, is because by and large, he managed to put his messages into the show without making us feel that he was lecturing us. Yeah. I think you'll notice a great majority, and this is something we are editing our next podcast at the moment, and we're talking about this at great length. The great majority of people complaining about wokeness or, you know, this sort of thing, aren't saying that global warming is a myth.
0: No, at well, least, not all of least, them anyway.
1: At least they're not prepared to admit that. The way it comes across, they're just sick of being lectured about it by someone who's no particular expert on the subject and who, at an age when Greta Thunberg is doing what she's doing, was devoting his life to mugging Jane Baker on TV. <laughs> There's no reason why Chris Chibnall should know, have any more, you know, knowledge about the problems of global warming than I do in my general life just, you know, reading newspapers. So why am I taking lectures from him? Yeah, He's not an expert, so he shouldn't lecture me. What arguably he's an expert in is producing drama, so he should do it via drama. Show, don't tell.
0: Yeah. And there's even fans who are saying they, whatever the topic is, they believe in global warming, they believe in lots of plastics are in the ocean and that's Mm. a problem, whatever. But they would rather come to Doctor Who and just have... Uh, as dave would say a fun adventure in time and space because they're trying to get away from real life for you know 45 yes, minutes i've seen
1: that yeah
0: yeah and there's so uh, there's that point of view out there as well where people don't even want to see the messages
1: I and mean, and if if it's done subtly then i think that, i think that can come across you know you mm. can have your cake and eat it both you know get the message and be in a purely escapist drama it's yeah. just uh, i don't think I don't think people get like the idea of being lectured, particularly yeah. on. Particularly on, I, I think it doesn't work in two ways. People who already know all this stuff and are already on board, I well, I certainly feel they're being patronised, and people who who are global, let's say, global warming deniers, mm. they're, not, they're not going to be. They're going to take offence at this because they're going to think, "Oh, I'm being lectured to someone, by someone who thinks I'm stupid." So they're going to, you know... They're not going to be changed there. I just, just think, you
0: know... Yeah, well, that's where some of the woke accusations come from because people think, well, half the audience they're preaching to already knows this and the other half isn't going to be convinced by it, so why yeah. are they actually doing it? Is it just to show their woke credentials? That That's another argument that gets made.
1: Yes, I, th- I, th- I think that's what it is all of the time.
0: Mm. Yeah. Anyway, we continued on that... <laughs> For longer than I thought To get back to Steve's email uh, He says fans forget that Doctor Who Has historically been fairly full on When it comes to educating its audience About what we're doing to ourselves and the planet Sadly some viewers are only reacting To the way the Murdoch Press and Sky News Have recently programmed to calling Calling the green message The result of a politically correct agenda How about waking up Doctor Who was railing against racism As far back as The Ark, The Savages and The Silurians and attacking apartheid in The Mutants and dictating terms on slavery in Carnival of Monsters. How about Nazi parallels in Genesis of the Daleks? It's pretty obvious in its condemnation of drug trafficking in The Nightmare of Eden and The Case of Androzani. And the whipping TV violence got in Vengeance on Varos as well documented. Those whingers should rewatch The Green Death and grow a spine.
1: And, well, I think those are good examples. I don't, yeah. does it? Does the Doctor ever tell us in Nightmare of Eden that drug trafficking is a bad trafficking is a bad thing. No. That we see here's here's a guy oh what's he called? Um uh, <laughs> it's strange this. The only thing I can remember of him is he, is is he was played by an actor called Louis Viander. And the only reason I can remember that is because he gets mentioned in the Tom Baker years.
0: <laughs>
1: here's this guy who's messing around who's playing around with drugs for whatever reason. And we there's that which I think is an incredibly powerful. See myself at the end where they're arresting Trist. and he says to the doctor, "Oh, doctor, doctor, you 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 must you must you're a scientist. You must understand what I was doing. You know, that's my um, German accent." <laughs> uh, and the doctor doesn't turn to him and say, "You've been trafficking drugs. You're you know you're a complete villain. Uh, this is bad." He's pleading to the doctor. The doctor doesn't even look at him. He just mm. very quietly says, "Go away." Says, yeah. Go away. Says, Go away. And that, to me, would have affected me far. On the assumptions at that age, I was, I was very, I was in, I was pro the um, dealing of drugs. That just, the, the, you know, very fact, you're a kid. You see, the doctor disapproves of. Here's here's doctor's the good guy. Here's someone the doctor. He's fighting against. Therefore, he must be the bad guy. Yeah. Therefore, drugs are a bad thing. Yeah. Or you know what I mean. But if he, if Tom had turned to the camera and given us that lecture, I think I would have felt, and I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure kids can work this out for themselves. Oh, I'm being lectured to here. Yeah. I'm being told something. Uh, I think that's, that that Eden's a good example of the way it should be done.
0: Yeah. Exactly. I- Famously, on a on a recent episode, I brought up uh, Frontier in space and the way they have political prisoners locked up on the moon. The Pertwee never turns to and camera. Yes,
1: exactly. And I when I was listening, she's doing that, by the way.
0: Yeah, Pertwee never turns to camera and says how bad it is to lock up political prisoners. You can just see it's not a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, let's move on.
1: We've had a. I say, we. You've had a message from uh, John Shaw who says, uh, Hi, Rob and Dave. I've just listened to your January monthly. And as always, it was a pleasure, as are the hot takes. Have you ever considered using the Diddly Dum podcast as a role model? You could become even better. <laughs> right. As I type this, I am willing Amazon to deliver season 26 first thing Monday morning. So, I w- so no, I was not one of the lucky few who got theirs on Saturday. It was great to hear that, like me, you lads can see where the team were going with number seven. Uh, I think he means Doctor number seven. Yes. And I I was more interested in Dave's comment. And I was even more interested in Dave's comment that season 14, yes, it's on order, will be the third Doctor number four box. And as yet, no 60s releases. This got me thinking we might have a long wait. And here is why I say that. One, none of the 60s seasons is complete. So, looking at what they do have, they would have to animate Marco Polo, and possibly, depending on the licensing, the Reign of Terror, in order to release Season 1. Animate the Crusade for Season 2, or the Space Pirates for Season 6. These are the three seasons with the least work to do, but unless they have been working on one or more for a while, it will take time. 2. Will they look or sound better on
0: BD? Blu-ray disc, I think.
1: Oh, right. I know the likes of Spearhead from Space look amazing on Blu-ray from 1969, but it took a lot of work over the years by the old restoration team, and it was shot on film for transmission in the new 625-line PAL system, not the old 405 lines used for the first six seasons, not to mention a lot of the masters were lost, and the stories that were recovered were tele film copies that the restoration team had to do an amazing amount of work on including using their vidfire process to make them presentable on DVD. Getting them to 1080p will be a Herculean task, given the BBC no longer has the help of the restoration team. Oh, is that true? Did they I, them?
0: I don't know. Uh, I assume it is for him to make the claim. Um... I guess with less output, they haven't needed them. They were always volunteers, though, I think. I don't think they were ever, like, an official thing, were they?
1: Yeah, possibly. Um, I, I don't know. I think... You no, know, they must have had... I don't think they were just a few guys in their bedrooms, was it? it was, uh, oh, no, it
0: was more than that.
1: Three, the length of the seasons is so long. The episode count in the old days was astonishing. Even if it's worth doing the work to remaster to full high definition, the calculations alone will take hundreds of years. Four, what about the fans who have already been buying the animations on DVD and Blu-ray? Will they buy again? game? <laughs> Sorry, deaf question, of course I will. Of course we all will, we were all buying the, I assume, buying the Blu-ray collections, despite the fact that we've got, um, we've got the complete collection on DVD. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: I'm giving my DVDs away to a mate. Actually,
1: is it <laughs> is this a mate who's too poor to afford Blu-rays?
0: <laughs> well, no, he's he's a mate who likes Doctor Who enough to really appreciate having it on DVD, but yeah. couldn't give it couldn't give a toss about some extra features and maybe some better clarity on screen on Blu-ray.
1: Well, i've I've been longing for years to I mean, purely for the the desire for um, shelf space. Mm. Uh, and when I'm moving house, the <laughs> number of boxes are full of DVDs I have to move. I've been th- thinking, oh, if they only had... Um, you know the some of the DVD box sets like for Matt Smith's first season? Yeah. And it's almost it's almost the size of a slightly thick paperback book, isn't it? You know, not one of these big things they've done. And I've always thought, oh, if only they did one of those for a full season. And I can yes. have, you know, maybe half a shelf and have the entire, it was Blu-rays, the entire Doctor Who collection. Um, and they started bringing these out, but unfortunately, when I'm doing the podcast, I want to do, say, record a clip from, on my PC from, I don't know, Brain of Morbius. I'll get the DVD out. But my uh, my PC doesn't read Blu-rays. Oh, no. So I've now got all the, the DVDs and all the Blu-rays coming out, so I've got... About three times the shelf space. Um, (laughs) Back to what John's saying. I think the BBC will will stick to alternating Tom and the others, leaving the the 60s for now. I hope I'm proven wrong. What do you think? All the best, John Shaw. P.S. Quick question. Both you and Dave rave every week about... You see, this is the importance of punctuation. Both you and Dave rave every week about Bradley Walsh. Do you know how I read how I read that? How I assumed that that Mister Kitchen had a nickname, <laughs> and it was both you and Dave Rave <laughs> every week about Bradley Walsh. Dave Rave. As, uh, as someone else, who was still used to be called Dave the Rave. I thought <laughs> I had no idea that Dave. I don't know. Dave I'm was podcasting podcast answering exciting. Both you and Dave <laughs> Rave every week about Bradley Walsh. Quite rightly so. Did do you get to see his other shows in Australia? His game show, The Chase, and Breaking Dad, the road trip with his son. Hmm. Did you get to see that? I mean, I, I imagine that game yeah. shows don't really trans, transfer in the way that drama does, do they, between countries? Uh, um, I mean, some they'll, they'll game. tend to you'll tend to say, "Oh, that's a good idea. We'll do our own version of that, don't you?" Rather than taking you know a full set of other country's game shows really yeah
0: big. yeah i think the chase might be done locally but we do we do have a lot of uk game shows air here on free to air like um oh what's the jimmy Carr one about cats it's like
1: oh um cats have nine lives
0: oh whatever it is so it's, it's, it's got that. like a double double banger yeah. name and <laughs> There's a lady who draws on a board and, oh, I don't know what it's about, but QI and, and you know, all these things hosted by Rob Bryden that always seem to have David Mitchell on the panel. They, they're yes, quite popular. Yeah. Uh, we have that.
1: Oh, well, I, I love the that one, uh, Would I Lie to
0: You. Would I Lie That's to You. That's one that, of my yeah. favourites, though, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, we get that. Um, look, Breaking Dad, I don't think's on free-to-air. It could be on, like, foxtel or like one of our cable services or something like that that i don't subscribe to i just use free-to-air and then i have netflix and amazon prime and stuff like that um so i don't know what's going on 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 foxtel it could be there i don't know uh the other question though was uh about leaving the 60s episodes for now and Mm. hoping to be proven wrong i think they'll do a 60s at some stage, maybe sooner than later, and I'm going to plump for Troughton Season 6. I think they'll animate the space pirates and put that out. There's my tip.
1: Um, Sheldon, Carnegie, Sheldon Carnegie gets back to us and says, So, I just watched the Haunting episode for about the fourth time. Uh, that'll be dear Dottie, dear won't it? I seriously, seriously enjoyed it. Prior to the Cyberman, it had my attention. Then after the Cyberman... I couldn't think of looking away. We've mainly seen people prior to cyber conversion or after, but the notion of someone being in in the in-between phase and, and being a bad person is a refreshing twist. Did you all happen to catch the slow, foreboding steps of Ashad as he was walking into the room with the baby? Those steps, until he reached the chest where they were hiding, were for me some of the tensest moments. Would they dare kill a baby? My mind raced. I'm going to make a half-assed prediction. Those two ghosts are timeless children. Ha-ha. It was worth a shot. Now that's interesting. Mm. Anyway, I could go on and on, but you have a show to finish. Yes, yes, we do. All my <laughs> best to you, Sheldon.
0: Yeah, that's good. And, and I thought Ashad was a really good character. My only complaint in our episode was, I just think they showed too much of his face. I liked seeing his face. I just think it was a little bit too much. So, thank you so much, Sheldon. Some really, really good thoughts there. Uh, Because Doc took my uh, email, I'm going to take his now. And this is from Owen Prince, or Kelloggs24, on Twitter. He says, My take on the haunting of Villa Diodati. Welcome back, Doctor Who period drama, spooky, a dive into history, an old classic adversary, and the Doctor with moral complications. I was starting to feel blah about this season, but now I'm fully invested again. Phew!
1: I'm glad that that people are liking it. It's just, it doesn't, um, I don't feel furious if people like something I don't, I dislike. But, um...
0: Are you giving us a tip-off as to what you say on your episode coming up?
1: Uh, (laughs) well, um, shall we say it's, uh, one of the three of us fighting a rearguard action.
0: Interesting.
1: It's more um it's more the da, 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 would, would would I lie to you? Uh Can You Hear Me one that um sparks the most debate on ours for um shall we say, uh personal life experiences of some of us that have linked into
0: it. Yeah, yeah, that that did raise a lot of controversy and even the BBC putting out a statement. That was really interesting.
1: That's interesting, isn't it? There's now two press releases that BBC has released specifically in order to calm down fan speculation. First, they released a thing. They released the one saying, oh, this is why the doctor didn't try to comfort Graham about his cancer. What was yeah. the one they issued a few weeks ago? Was it Chris Chibnall saying, oh, she's not... Um, an alternate universe doctor that's right yeah that's strange isn't
0: it? yeah yeah <laughs> anyway thank you so much to uh, all those listeners for writing in whether on twitter facebook uh or wherever uh email you know that old thing um it's really really good this is our second episode to be doing this this sort of feedback it's around the time of year that we do a lot of this uh because you're hearing us week to week on the hot takes so um thank you doc for helping to read those i know uh no, some of them can be quite long.
1: Well, talking of long, we've gone on for a while here, hey, haven't we? Do you, um, do you edit much on your podcast? And I don't mean as in, you know, just taking away someone sneezing or coughing, but editing down, shall we say?
0: Uh, in the early days, we used to quite a lot, but now Dave and I have got kind of some weird ESP going on and we know roughly what we want to say and what kind of time... And if we record for an hour ten, we cut it to an hour five. We we hardly yeah. cut anything. And that's usually just coughing and people, you know, making a mistake reading something and rereading it, you know.
1: We tend to end up at the end with about two and a half hours of recording. And we, after it's edited, it usually gets reduced by about an hour. That's, yeah. ma- that's mainly um, <laughs> Mark nipping out for a fag for three minutes. <laughs> or, um... Anyone who wants to listen to uh, episode 127 that's coming up about Can You Hear Me? I uh, come up with a moral quandary at one point, and I'm trying to think of the right thing to say. Now, when I edit that, all those pauses get wiped out because I imagine they're poor people. (laughs) That that works particularly well as a dramatic pause, that. I'll keep it in. Otherwise, I'll knock them out. Do do you spend long editing?
0: Ah, look, I think it usually takes twice as long as whatever the episode is because generally i'm going back and listening to everything twice once when i hear it the first time and once yeah. after i've edited it I envy so you. are you yeah are
1: you dave usually in the same room when you're are you skyping
0: ah uh, no no because he's in melbourne and i'm in sydney oh right, right. yeah okay. yeah yeah so it's all um it's all done that way. In The first time Dave and I Skyped, he had his video on too, but we've never done that again because I don't have a camera, so it seemed pointless for me to see Dave, and but he doesn't see me. But in the meantime, I did want to say thank you so much for taking the time uh, to come on the show. I know it's early, early, well, early-ish in the morning for you as we record.
1: All right, so, well, it's only, um, it's quite past 10 now, so it's not too bad.
0: <laughs> That's because we've been recording for a long time. <laughs> But yeah, thank you so much and I'm looking forward to uh, your next episode of Diddly Dumb uh, to hear your thoughts particularly on Dia Dadi. That's that's the one that I've really enjoyed. I tend to like hearing what people think of the episodes I enjoy because if it's one I didn't enjoy I either don't want to hear people extol its virtues or if they're agreeing with me that it was bad, I don't need to hear it. But the ones I like, I like to hear people comment on for some reason.
1: Well, oh, I must prefer it when people agree with me that it's, it's bad. <laughs> I mean, really, but but really, really viciously. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll watch an episode and I'll think I couldn't. I hated that, but I, c- I can't quite put my finger on why. So I've listened to a few uh, other Doctor Who podcasts, and someone will you know let's crystallise it in a bit of vicious invective. Oh yes, yes, that's uh, I'll use that.
0: <laughs> right, then. Well, on that note, uh, thank you again for being on the show. For our listeners, we've got two more episodes of the Hot Takes to go, which won't have Dave on them. He remains overseas. And I can exclusively reveal we'll have Stephen from New to Who joining me for those two episodes. So look out for those. And Dave will return in our March, uh, end of March episode, where we'll be talking about all of Series 12. You'll get to hear what he thought of the last two episodes. And we'll do uh, one of our famous uh, series wraps. So that's that's all in the future now. Yeah. Okie dokie. All right. Thanks again, Doc. Much appreciated. Ta-ta all. Ta-ta. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.